Welcome to Acre Interview. I'm Mike Young, your host, and this is part two of our interview with Paul Godfrey. In this episode, Paul chats about returning from his US Air Force Exchange tour to fly the mighty Typhoon, joining the BBMF flying the Spitfire and Hurricane, his TV work, and also being part of the brilliant Pilot Episodes podcast. I want to thank our sponsor, Flying Graphics, who produce high-quality aviation t-shirts and offer a wide range of aircraft and styles to choose from, such as jets, warbirds, rotary, transport, their iconic collection, plus much more. They have sizes from small to 4XL and offer worldwide shipping, so make sure you head over to their website at www.flyinggraphics.com to check out all their great designs. Well, it sounds like you had a great time, like we say, on the F-16, but then you went back to the UK and you actually managed to um, fly the Typhoon. So what was this like and how did your training begin? I was really excited about this. As I said before, you know, at the end of my time on, on the Harrier, I was kind of angling to get onto this brand yeah. new aeroplane that's going to be the future of the Royal Air Force. And actually when I came back I ended up in a ground tour so I was involved with the Typhoon because I was what was called a requirements manager so I was responsible for uh, weapons and mission planning systems on the Typhoon before I even got to fly it. Right. I was then selected to go to three squadron, uh, the squadron uh, behind us, uh, as the first operational squadron and so I'd spent a lot of time in close proximity to the guys going through the uh, you know the mm -hmm. start of the Typhoon which wasn't easy you know any new aeroplane that comes into service you're going to find snags, there's going to be issues, all sorts of things happening. You're working out stuff for the first time. But the very first time you then go and get in and fly that aeroplane, you think, oh my God, this is a world beater. You know, whether everything was working on day one or not, it didn't matter because... And you generally at, felt that when your first time in Titan. Yeah. All of a sudden you're at 55,000 feet. You know, you pull G up there, you know, there's not many other aeroplanes that can get up there. When you're down at low level, you do a low level acceleration. I have never in my life felt anything like that. I felt, if you've ever seen, I can't remember which James Bond film it is, but Roger Moore's stuck in the uh, centrifuge and you, oh, yeah, it's like yeah. that. It kind of feels like that. You know, you go down low level acceleration over the sea, you plug the burners in, I think it was about 200 knots. You feel a real kick, you know, it's a real kick in the backside. Your head's on the back of the headrest. And then, honestly, you start to see the numbers winding up where it goes 200, 210, 250, 260, 290. 300, 350, 400, 450, and it's accelerating that quickly. We had a low-level speed restriction at the time, and uh, you know, you had, it was almost pulling your hand up to there to get to the <laughs> throttle to pull it back to stop it going through 600 and something knots. You know, down at low level, it would have gone supersonic and just kept going at, uh, at low level. And I think you had you had a balloon quote. I can't remember. It might have been with James May where you took up, and it was like um, something about an angel. What was that? Homesick like? angel. That was it. Homesick I, angel. I, yeah. I, I stole that off of someone. I don't know who it is, so I'm really sorry. I, I, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but she did. She climbs like a homesick angel. Yeah. Just wants to keep going. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with an airframe like that, you've got a world beaten. Yeah. You know, because it it can dominate the battle space. It can be up at 55,000 feet going supersonic, super cruising, that sort of thing. So as you know, in a, once we started the operational squadron, we'd ironed out all the kinks in the aeroplane. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, I loved it where we'd come in a full ship of us be fighting a, a bunch of F3s and, you know, just simple things where the F3s weren't used to putting their radars all the way up here where we were coming in from above the contrails, yeah. you know, you're not going to see us visually. And because you are so high and so fast, 
you impart additional energy onto your missiles. So you, now you've got ranges that we hadn't seen before on this typhoon. And we were, you know, cleaning up. It was utterly brilliant. I feel sorry for the F3 because that's my favorite aircraft. <laughs> it sounds like it didn't. I'm not taking it away from those guys. <laughs> they just hadn't fought, yeah. you know, something uh, like us before. They soon worked it out, you know, yeah. and then it was a, uh, you know, a much mm -hmm. harder fight. Um, but, uh, but brilliant. And the way we then stepped up from, uh, you know, just short deployments in the UK, then overseas deployment, and then putting it on QRA for the first yeah. time. You know, it was a big moment. I was yeah. the flight commander in charge of, mm -hmm. of getting us ready for quick reaction alert. And, you know, it's a big thing. That's something that I never particularly realized throughout my flying career up until that point. Yeah. How, uh, maybe stressful is not the word, but how you have to be doing this right all of the time. Because the There's bell no cannot go. Yeah, the yeah. bell cannot go, and you not be ready to run out and get the airplane airborne, you know, within your allotted time, which is in single minutes. Um, and so, getting the airplane ready, understanding how it works, you know, are there any issues? Making sure we have the weapons loads, making sure the command and control is good. You know, how are we servicing the airplanes on a daily basis? Yeah. How are we doing this? Have we got the pilots to keep doing this every day of the year? This is 365 days a year, 24/7. And sometimes I don't think the public uh, appreciate that what you guys do. No, they definitely don't. Yeah. And and you know, even within the military, there is people don't have the appreciation oh, really? of, of, uh, of what is going okay. on there. Because if you take Coningsby or Lossiemouth, and I was fortunate in uh, you know, my last job to be yeah. the station monitor up at Lossiemouth, you cannot fail in that role. There are certain things you can say, no, I'm not gonna do that. You cannot fail in that role. So everything on the station, so if you take Lossiemouth that had been a tornado squadron, yeah. when you convert it to a 24-7 base, it wasn't 24-7 previously. Yeah, there would have been yeah. a sort of operations room and that sort of stuff, but not in the way that you need to be able to feed people. You need uh, the operations there. You need the connectivity to the, uh, mm -hmm. uh, to the uh, various um, reporting sites around the, the country, the radar sites and so on, the master controllers and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Kind of take o it takes over your life. Mm -hmm. And when you consider as well that we're busy, yeah. so you go away, go and do a deployment. The first thing you're doing when you get back is sitting on QRA. Um, you know, and uh, but it is exciting. You know, you do not know. You you start to relax the longer you've done it. The you know the first time you do it, you end up sleeping in all well not sleeping in all of your kit because you yeah. you know you want to be ready. If it uh -huh. goes in the middle of the night, you don't turn around and try and run into the window or any of that sort of stuff. You want to know where to go. Yeah. And so um, you know, it is a really 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 big thing. Yeah. And. Obviously, a QR, uh, QRA there. Did you ever intercept any Russians on your time in QRA? No, I didn't. You didn't uh, get it? No. I think, you know, I, I'd tell everyone they knew I was on. You know. <laughs> uh, no, it was a real shame. It's if not, I'd have a massive bear badge or something like that on the, uh, on the side here. There was quite a few guys did. Um, in fact, there was, uh, it was one of the pilots, uh, might have been Roger, actually, who, Roger, you'd, uh, yeah, yeah. who'd uh, you, you've interviewed before. It just seemed to happen every time that he was on. I think he had, uh, he had a, I can't remember what patch he had, something like 20 or something yeah. on it, yeah. Um, and then he was lucky in that, uh, I say lucky, but um, I went to visit the squadron out and the, um, doing the Baltic air policing role. Uh, yeah. They were intercepting uh, Russian fighters the whole time, because normally when you're doing QRA up in Scotland, it's Russian bombers that, uh, that come in and uh, you know, are entering UK airspace. Out in the Baltics, it's Russian fighters, and you never see Russian fighters up north. So that was really interesting once the guys started doing that for the first time. So, you know, Roger, for example, is really experienced in that sort of thing. I think he, he, he uh, intercepted MiG-31s or uh, Foxbats. Uh, and I was like, well, I've never heard of that before. I thought it was always bombers. 
Uh, now, interestingly, in Iraq, when I was there with the Americans, um, you know, we had fox bats and various things taking yeah. off, but they never crossed the line, so we never had to intercept them. We came close so you saw on a on couple of occasions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we saw them on the radar. Mm -hmm. um, that gets the heart going. I can you imagine. Know, with those things, because the, take a fox bat, that's not designed to be a fighter against me and my little fighter. That's designed to be able to shoot down the AWACS. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so all of a sudden we go into a sort of defensive stance to make sure that the AWACS or the rivet joint Mm -hmm. um, is being protected. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, that in itself, a really interesting cat and mouse game, uh, you know, when you're doing those operations. Absolutely. So how long did you spend on Typhoon and how would you sum up the jet? Actually, I've done three tours on Typhoon. So wow. that my first tour uh, was on three squadron um, as that first operational squadron. Uh, my second tour was when I came in as the officer commanding operations wing at, uh, at Coningsby, uh, where I deployed on various things uh, with the Typhoon. Um, and the third one was a station commander where I kept my hand in, mainly did quick reaction alert missions, but actually flew in Malaysia, flew in Japan, flew in the States, flew with F-35, F-22 uh, along the way. So, you know, learned a lot about what we term fourth, fifth gen integration. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, a fantastic aeroplane, got about 700 hours on the, uh, on the Typhoon and uh, I'd sum it up as a world beater. Yeah. Um, I absolutely loved my time on the F-16 mm -hmm. and I loved that aeroplane for what it was. I think with Typhoon you've got a level above mm -hmm. um, just because of the capability, the platform. So, you know, where you've already got an amazing defensive aid subsuite, you know, sensors on it, targeting pods, um, the ability to carry a range of missiles, um, you know, Storm Shadow, Meteor now. Meteor, yeah. I talked about long range of AMRAAM. Meteor is a whole different game now that you've got a ramjet uh, engined air-to-air yeah. -air missile, yeah. that does turn Typhoon into something that people need to be worried about. Um, really? I think they were already. Yeah. And in terms of that dogfighting BFM, uh, lots and lots of lots of BFM engagements, uh, you know, lost a few, won most, um, but even against F-22, you know, I went up and did uh, on, uh, a couple of BFM engagements against F-22. Actually, it was 2-1 to him, stupid mistake on my part, but the first one, suddenly this F-22 is really worried that I've now, um, uh, you know, beaten him. Is it because it has is it something called excess power, which gives you that ability? Yeah. So, to so specific excess power yeah. only, uh, you know, is ultimately means that uh, you have more power than you weigh. Yeah. So um, I, I talked about BFM. I'm going. People will get me on YouTube <laughs> now for hands in the bar. But you know, if someone's turning and you start to turn into them on an F-16, you turn. You'd keep pulling, keep pulling, the jet would start to bleed a bit of, uh, of energy, yeah. depending on where you were, altitude or, or down low. In a Typhoon, more often than not, if you didn't break the back of it or come back on the power, you would sustain 9G in that turn. The other person's normally going downhill. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you'd be pulling 9G the whole time and the aeroplane could sustain it, uh, which is utterly ridiculous in terms of power. Yeah. Um, uh, I was writing something the other day for someone who'd asked me about Typhoon versus Spitfire. And... You know, people are getting, well, can a Spitfire turn tightly or anything? It doesn't matter. A typhoon would just go straight, straight up, up, wait yeah. until the Spitfire falls off, and then you're back down on it. You know, the ability to go up in that dogfighting arena. Someone asked on Twitter, actually, well, is dogfighting relevant these days? Mm. You know, we haven't shot anyone down since the Falklands. Yeah. Well, actually, with all of the quick reaction alert stuff that we're doing and intercepting Russian fighters, I think it is enormously relevant because you wouldn't want to put pilot, if I was a pilot intercepting that Russian, or whoever, 
I wouldn't want to be in the position where I didn't know what to do if something happened. Now, we can hope that it, nothing is going to happen, but I want to know what to do if something happens. But it's the same mistake where they did with the Phantom. They didn't put a gun in, and that was, you know, a silly mistake, so. There was a long history with the gun in Typhoon, but it absolutely the right thing to put the, uh, yeah. to put the gun back on there for that particular mission. Yeah. A lot of people know you from the BBMF, so tell us about this. How did you get involved and which did you prefer to fly? Oh, That's going to be a tough one. That's <laughs> almost an impossible question. The, uh, I, no, actually, I can give an answer on that one. But um, BBMF came around because it was part of my job as the officer commanding operations wing at mm -hmm. Coningsby. So the Battle of Britain Memorial flight came under my wing, my command. Yep. Um, and so I kind of... Uh, you know, the, the OC operations and the station commander had always flown on BBMF. Mm -hmm. Still meant I had to pass all the flying tests, all of that sort of stuff. It was definitely no free pass going into this. Um, but it allowed me to kind of close the circle, fulfill my childhood dream mm -hmm. of seeing those Spitfires at, uh, and Hurricane at uh, Kenley Air Show. And actually, subsequently, it turns out it's probably those exact aeroplanes that I've flown. No so, I did, uh, so I did three <laughs> seasons on the flight and was just amazing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and I, my logbook has a particular day where I flew a Typhoon in the morning, then a Chipmunk, a Spitfire, and a Hurricane. You know, in the same day, that's yeah, ridiculous. That's, isn't it? It's crazy, but yeah, so did you have a favorite? Which was better to fly? So the first aeroplane you fly, once you've gone through the training, is the Hurricane. Really stable aeroplane yeah. and is reasonably straightforward to fly. You then get into the Spitfire and she flies like a, a maneuverable fighter. So actually, I. Weirdly, the Spitfire is very much like the F-16, I think. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, different in terms of, you know, how they feel, mm -hmm. but the same in a, you land an F-16 and she still wants to fly all the way down to, you know, you put the brakes on and you're getting below sort of 30 yeah. knots. Same in the, in the Spitfire, you know, she wants to fly all the way until you've stopped in the dispersal <laughs> and the climbing yeah. out. Um, and so completely different experiences. I guess that would be the same as sort of flying a typhoon versus a, a, a tornado, actually, yeah. versus a, um, uh, an F-16. I did have a favorite airplane, though, and that was AB-910, the Mark V Spitfire yeah. at BBMF. And that was because um, I'd flown the Mark IX to start with, and she felt kind of heavy, you know, was okay. not what I was expecting as mm -hmm. a Spitfire. But then I got into the Mark V, the first time I flew her, as soon as I powered up to the light aeroplane, the tail lifted, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I knew I was in a Spitfire. Um, went off, displayed, and she flew like a dream. The controls were really well balanced. Um, but then I came into land. I said in an interview the other day, it was an amazing trip and then not an amazing landing. And it was a short runway at Coningsby. And as I landed, it was a bit of a gusty day. I, I, I added a couple of knots for mum, you know, as we came in. <laughs> yeah. Landed, uh, landing was fine. But the tailwheel was still off the ground, and I could see the, the sort of runway intersection coming along. Yeah. I thought, I, I know, I'll just tweak the, wheel, the tailwheel back on. Big mistake. She always went right on landing, AB910, as the guys told me. But me forcing the tail down is a big gyroscopic effect. Mm -hmm. It just meant she went, mm -hmm, pointed this way, and the gust of wind at the same time, the left wing lifted, and I arced majestically off the side of the runway and uh, thought, this is it, I'm gonna cartwheel a Spitfire. Wrestled around with her for a little bit, came down, the right wing came back up, and uh, I went back onto the runway, you know, came to a halt, with the, put the brakes on, sat there. Amazingly, my heart rate wasn't too, maybe it's because I kind of 
thought that's it, I'm going to crash the thing anyway. Yeah. Uh, but we were both unscathed. And uh, I've said it a couple of times, but we came to an understanding after that. And so me and her bonded at that point. It's like, you know, some sort of wild horse almost. Yeah, yeah. I give her a kiss every time I go flying and she looked after me. Uh, I think uh, you put that, that on the podcast, didn't you? Yeah, yeah I heard that. Brilliant. Uh, and I genuinely did. Uh, yeah. One of the guys on the flight, Smithy, always used to kiss every aeroplane. But me and, me and AB had a, uh, had, a, had a good relationship. No, and, you best mates. <laughs> well, so I was really sad. You know, my, my saddest flight wasn't my last flight on BBMF. I, honestly, it was my, uh, I knew it was my last flight in her in AB 910. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, on the way back to the uh, you know a couple of wingovers, that sort of thing, and, and you know, say goodbye to her for the last time. It was uh, yeah, it was an emotional day that one. Apart from aviation, do you have any hobbies? Uh, generally, aviation, rugby actually rugby. is uh, yeah, clearly the size of me not playing it, <laughs> but uh, I love watching rugby um, and uh, love watching my my son's a rugby player. I love watching him play rugby. Um, yeah, uh, you know, that's probably a primary hobby, although you may have heard on the podcast. I don't know whether I call it a hobby just yet, but having got one of those uh, quadcopters with the, uh, the first person video um, right. things, flying that around the back garden, or actually the, the area that we live in, not the back garden, we've only got a tiny little patio, <laughs> uh, is brilliant. So, uh, you know, just a couple of things out there, um, yeah. like walking the dog oh, as well. Brilliant. So this is, could be a tough one. Favourite aircraft you've flown? I, honestly, the pressure here. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know. I, I mean, given that sort of emotional connection, uh, AB910, specifically that actual aeroplane, if you were to ask me what type of aeroplane was my favourite type, it's a really difficult one. Mm -hmm. I may say the F-16 mm -hmm. just because of the experiences I had when I was out there in that particular time mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. um, probably all add up to that being my favourite tour, I think. Right, yeah. And is there an aircraft you wish you could have flown in your career? Um, there's loads I wish I could have flown. You know, I'd, uh, given that I've flown the Typhoon, I would love to fly the Tempest. You know, the, the World War II Tempest. You know, was, the, I didn't think you were going to say, I thought you were going to say F-14 or something. <laughs> no, the um, Pierre Klosterman's book, uh, the, the big show, yeah. when he talks about flying Typhoon and then Tempest in the Second World War. Mm -hmm. I think that would be an amazing experience. Um, in terms of modern fast jets, um, F-22, I think, you know, I kind of, one of the deployments we did with F-22, I kind of had a holiday romance with it. Um, mm -hmm. Just an amazingly capable airplane. Mm -hmm. I mean, a proper, proper world beater. Yeah, I think it is. And, uh, you know, when you form, flying in formation on an F-22, it feels like you're flying in formation on the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> I, just space age, brilliant. So I think, you know, probably F-22, mm -hmm. I'd like to get in and have a fly around in. Mm -hmm. And you're also a member of a podcast. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, Pilot Episodes podcast. So that came about because it was my time on Battle of Britain Memorial flight, where myself and Dunk Mason, Tony Parkinson, Parkey, uh, just used to sit around after, on a Saturday, you'd come back, you were knackered, you'd done a ton of flying. We'd sit down and have a beer in the crew room. Mm -hmm. We just used to talk, you know, and Parkey being, honestly one of the most experienced uh, fighter pilots on the planet yeah uh, has got so many stories uh, Dunk's got so many stories with everything that he's done you know all his Afghan operations in the Harrier his time on the Red Arrows as well so between us we thought oh, we've got a, wouldn't it be great that people could just listen to us talking so I it, rugby being one of my other hobbies mm -hmm. I'd listen to JB's podcast he does one called Egg Chasers another one yeah. called Rug Rugby Dungeon um, 
and I, I noticed he was following me on Twitter. So I just DM'd him and said, uh, hey, do you fancy doing an uh, a, a aviation podcast? He DM'd me back within about three seconds and said, what's your number? And then phoned me within two minutes and said, I'm in. What are we doing? Brilliant. And so we took it from there. So we've been doing it for, as you know, about 18 months now. Yeah. Um, and it's been brilliant. I, you know, it, to me, I think people who listen to it know that we do it via Skype. You know, the sound quality isn't brilliant sometimes, but it's getting better. We're yeah. trying. Um, but it's been like being down the pub with your mates, uh, just talking about stuff. It's honestly one of my favorite podcasts. I, I think it's probably my go-to podcast is listening to you guys. And yeah, I like how it's so rustic, if that makes sense. Not yeah, to be yeah, insulting, I, but you know what I mean? Uh, it's just it, you blokes chatting. Love it. Someone, uh, I was bantering the other day that, you know, the Sunday Times didn't put us in the top <laughs> yeah. 100 podcasts in the world. And everything that they had on there was almost, you know, a BBC, a studio produced, scripted, although, you know, a lot of those really good podcasts yeah. are not scripted. Um, podcast. Now, I think there is something about, you know, we want you to feel that you're just having a drink with us down the pub, you know, mm -hmm. when, we're, when we're talking about stuff. You know, we'd love a bit more interaction. We'd actually like to do a live one at okay. some point in the, uh, in the near future where, you know, people can interact and, you know, ask oh, questions. So you mean like a, like a museum or something yeah. so people can watch you and Exactly, you know, yeah, so like there's sort of four of us on stage um, and, or however we do it, yeah. and, uh, you know, interact like that because it is about the other people. We always joke there's only a couple of people listening. Um, it, is <laughs> <That's amaz> <laughs> it, it is amazing though, how many, I've been in meetings in the MOD or, or elsewhere and people come up and go, oh, you know, really enjoy the podcast. Mm -hmm. We would like to do more of them, um, but uh, especially during the summer period where Parky, who just got his thousand hours Spitfire at yeah. the end of last week, is so busy doing the Spitfire flying that he does, um, that we're not able to crack it that much. Um, so, we, you know, we've settled on once a month, which I think is good, but we've got some really good ideas. Uh, as I said the other day, uh, I said to you earlier, we were on uh, Prince of, uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, the aircraft carrier, on uh, Tuesday. For a podcast, yeah, <laughs> which is pretty good. And we got an awesome chat with two of the guys there, um, James Blackmore and Ed Phillips, who both see Harrier pilots and both done F-18 exchanges wow. and they're now both involved mm -hmm. in uh, F-35 yeah. and on the carrier as well. So it's just, it's bringing that additional information just exactly like you're doing, mm -hmm. you know, sort of peeking behind the curtain and getting the stories, getting the interviews, talking about things that, you know, people who are not professional aviators or have an interest in aviation might, you know, might enjoy listening to. And it's great because like back in the day, the only time you could get that information was either a BBC documentary or talking to people at an air show. Now it's Ready available online, which is brilliant. No, I, and again, you know, thanks to guys like you, because uh, I, I know when I joined, my go-to was uh, the. I, I don't know whether you've ever seen it. You're too young to have uh, seen it first time around, but fighter pilot, which oh, yeah. followed these young I knew men. Guy from that, actually, yeah. Yeah, these young men through the, uh, you know, through the system, mm -hmm. and that to me was amazing. You know, that's all I knew about flying up mm -hmm. until I did it. You know, I had none of this resource to be able to go and look. I, you know, I read all the books that I could. I was saying to you last night, I ended up on YouTube watching yeah. Douglas Bader, This yeah. Is Your Life from the mid to late mm -hmm. 70s. If you didn't see that or have a recording of that or found it in the library, there was no way of watching exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I think, you know, it's brilliant that, yeah. uh, you know, guys like you are doing YouTube or, you know, we have got the opportunity with a podcast uh, to, to be able to get those stories out there, yeah, you know, and, and honestly, I think, you know, just one comment has made me so happy on the, uh, on the uh, podcast comments on iTunes. I had someone who said, uh, hey, you know, stumbled across this, 
my uh, young 15-year-old lad has listened, he's now joining the Air Cadets and wants to join up as a pilot. Wow. That is brilliant. It's yeah. made the whole thing worthwhile. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And before we wrap up, you've been lucky enough to do some TV work, haven't you? You've taken up uh, Ewan McGregor and James Mayer. How did you get to do this? Um, well, the James May one was interesting. I remember it was Lowell Bennett who was my boss on Three Squadron and said, right, who wants to take James May flying? And I went, I'll do it. <laughs> and, just like uh, that. Yeah, just like that. And he went, all right, you're doing it. And that was for, it was James May's 20th century. Yeah. Um, which, I think about 2007. And so James had only just gone into, I think he'd been in Top Gear a, a few years at the time. Mm -hmm. And so it was the lesser known member of Top Gear. Um, but a lovely, lovely, lovely guy. And yeah. uh, I was really impressed with just the ability of a professional presenter to be able to stand in front of the camera and read not necessarily a script because he wasn't reading a script but say exactly the right thing in exactly the right length um, and being an aviator himself he, if you watch the YouTube video yeah. he is genuinely amazed by the aeroplane which I thought was brilliant I also got you know a good chat about Top Gear and all of those sorts of things Jim Wall's actually the guy who replaced me at uh, Lossy Mouth was the guy who then uh, did the Top Gear, where he raced Richard Hammond in oh, the uh, in the Bugatti, and he was in the uh, he was in the uh, in the Typhoon. Um, so that was really interesting. And then the uh, Ewan McGregor thing, I kind of pulled rank, I guess, a little bit <laughs> yeah, up, at, up yeah. at Lossy Mouth. Although uh, it's one of those things where in this day and age, there's, there's not a huge amount of pilots that want to be uh, filmed and you know answer. Uh, you oh, know, personal right. I questions. We'd be up for that. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, I, I'd known, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to be involved is that I'd known Colin McGregor for years and years and years. He was ex tornado, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, ex tornado, and was was one of the sim instructors. And I'd done back in the mid '90s the combat survival uh, rescue course with him, and. Uh, it was really great to be involved in that, you know, and uh, to fly Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, you know, my flying career is complete now. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, Paul, where can we find uh, pilot episodes online? And are you yourself on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter as uh, God has Twit. Um, we've got, uh, we're on Twitter as at Pilot Episode Pod uh, online. And um, you can find us uh, wherever you get your podcasts if you just type in Pilot Episodes and, uh, and download it from there. Highly recommend it. Uh, yeah, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, you know, we enjoy doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Paul, thank you very much for giving a bit of your time today. Not at all. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. And again, thanks, Mike, for everything you do, uh, you know, to get people's stories uh, out onto YouTube. I think it's brilliant and hopefully inspiring some of the, uh, the pilots of the future. Thanks very much.